Awesome, everyone. So in this episode, we are going to be interviewing Mix Greedis from Classical Charter Schools. And I'm really excited to gain his insights and being able to learn a little bit more about um, what they're doing over there, learn his personal journey. It's going to be a lot of fun for me because what they're doing over there at Classical Charter Schools, I've been kind of following for a little bit now. And I've been really interested and impressed by their output and also some of the reviews that parents and students have been leaving. So without further ado, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. No, thank you for being so gracious with your time and with your insights. I really do appreciate it. I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. I'm kind of a fan. So um, it really means a lot that you've taken time. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So I became a teacher back in 2011. Uh, I was a teacher overseas, actually. Um, I was an education volunteer with the United States Peace Corps. Um, I was in Burkina, I was stationed in Burkina Faso. Um, wow. and my project was uh, girls education and empowerment volunteer. And so I kind of split my time between teaching English while also working with uh, groups of teachers to help to lead teacher trainings on classroom management um, and also just trying to eradicate gender-based violence in schools. Um, wow. That experience was really rewarding. I got to work with some incredibly motivated women in Southern Burkina Faso, and uh, they were able to lead trainings that really did have a tremendous impact on the school systems um, in the Central West region of Burkina Faso. And kind of from that experience, I was really grateful for that opportunity, but also sort of felt that feeling of you know, I'm training teachers here, but I've never actually taught in the US. And I think it's very important that I really stick to what I'm um, saying in terms of my trainings uh, to make sure that uh, everything that I'm saying in all of those trainings, I truly believe for my own practice as a teacher in the US, because the worst thing could be trying to train others without actually upholding those values in terms of yeah. positive, positive discipline techniques and things like that. Uh, so I returned to the U.S. and I taught for five years, uh, returned overseas again to uh, lead some education programming, uh, and then I joined Classical as an instructional coach. Um, and then uh, last year, I was promoted to be school director. Wow. So Mixed Greatest, before we kind of dive into more, because we typically just kind of skip this section after you kind of give your intro, we kind of dive into some other things. But I'm just so interested in in your work overseas. And I'm excited to see how that blends into how you instruct and lead today. But can you tell us a little bit about what your experience was when you got off the plane in these overseas destinations? Um, maybe some, I don't know, any anything that you learned or, because I'm not familiar with, is it Burkina Faso? Is that how you pronounce it? Yep, yeah. Can you just tell us a little bit about that experience if you'd like. Yeah, sure. So I think uh, one of the things that's really important for us at Classical here is that, you know, we're always trying every least uh, restrictive intervention in terms of supporting our scholars to be engaged in the lesson. And that's exactly the work that we were trying to do overseas. Um, and so things like using proximity uh, to scholars during a lesson is something that we uh, value here at Classical to make sure that, you know, we're able to, you know, make those sort of 
connections uh, with scholars during lessons, um, if we need to do private check-ins, uh, we do that before needing to have sort of a larger consequence within a lesson, um, just to make sure that uh, scholars are learning and staying on task. And that's exactly what we were trying to do in terms of uh, discipline techniques overseas. Um, and so it was a really wonderful experience because Burkina Faso is a particularly tolerant country. Um, and actually here at Classical, I have several students who are from Burkina Faso and oh, cool. originally for their families are from Burkina. So in addition to kind of greeting them in English in the morning, I might greet their parents in Moray or in Jula, which are local languages uh, found in Burkina Faso. So that's part of why I wanted to join Classical is because we, in addition to having a really uh, strong Spanish speaking population, here in the South Bronx. We also have a pretty strong West African uh, community here. And so That's I've so got cool. students from Senegal, from the Gambia, from Mali, from Cote d'Ivoire, and from Burkina Faso, and being able to connect with their families at a more deep level um, based on you know, the, their cultures and their language has been a really uh, rewarding opportunity here at Classical for me. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm just putting myself in the shoes of parents. If I were to walk up to a school and be greeted in my language, like that's, that just feels like you feel like you're being seen and you feel like you're actually a part of the school. And you're not just dropping your student off at this building where they go for a few hours every day. That's fantastic. What, um, what results have you seen by being so specific and niche in your greetings and in welcoming people? I think a big part of the work that we're trying to do here at Classical is really making sure that we're honoring uh, our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that doesn't only extend to our staff um, and to our scholars, but also to our families and making sure that we're building a partnership and a connection with our families. Um, and so the big pushes that we've made um, have been around the uniformity of opportunities for our families to engage in the school community. So, you know, making sure that we're hosting okay. events that that honor their cultures. Um, so we had a bachata night in, during Hispanic <laughs> Heritage Month, or uh, we had a multicultural potluck uh, just before Thanksgiving. Um, and so using those as opportunities to engage with our families has been really important, but more so on the instructional side, uh, we make big pushes each year to evaluate and review our curriculum to make sure that um, it is honoring the scholars that are receiving it. And so making sure that we're uh, layering texts that our scholars might find more connection with. Um, and That's so awesome. for example, uh, when I was, at one point I was overseeing the fourth grade curriculum here at Classical when I was an instructional coach. And so a big push that we made was uh, incorporating Jacqueline Woodson's writing into our curriculum in fourth grade um, because she writes incredible narratives that really build out um, strong character traits that, uh, you know, our scholars can uh, connect with, uh, whether that's, you know, kind of that mirror of what their personal experience has been like, or it's a window into a different experience. And can and, you say her name one more time? Yeah, Jacqueline Woodson. And I, Jacqueline she's actually, Woodson. a believe, a Brooklyn native. So it's nice cool. to have an author that's from New York City that is represented in our in our curriculum. Fantastic. I'm taking note and I'll make sure to include her in the show notes so that people can go check out her work. Um, that's fantastic. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> that tidbit of like a resource. Um, yeah. 
So very, very cool. And how do you think that your experience overseas has been able to help you as an instructional coach? And can you maybe explain what is an an instructional coach? Yeah. So an instructional coach uh, is a really satisfying and cool role to have, and especially at classical. Um, I've never seen anything like it before, and I worked in several schools before joining Classical, and the program that um, Ms. Davis, who is our Director of Curriculum and Instruction, has put together in terms of our coaching work is really phenomenal. Uh, the, work, it's, the work that she's done to build out our coaching program is, is incredible. And so in a, as an instructional co- coach, you get assigned approximately anywhere between eight and 15 teachers, uh, mm-hmm. depending on your school. Um, and uh, typically you'll uh, work with uh, a teacher in each grade and um, kind of at, at the core of the work is observing the teacher on a week by week basis and then providing feedback in, in written form and then debriefing that feedback together with uh, the teacher that you're coaching. Um, And usually that debrief involves not only kind of more exploration of the rationale behind that feedback, but also practicing that feedback to help solidify some of those practices. So if I'm I'm giving you feedback on your classroom management and your classroom culture and the way that you're setting expectations within your lesson or in the way that you're phrasing your questions, we're Mm going to go into that debrief and practice what it's like to apply that feedback uh, within your next lesson. And so as a result of that, you know, having seen, uh, I'm, I'm quite jealous of a lot of the teachers at, uh, at my school in terms of their abilities after their first year, um, because myself, I didn't view myself as a, as a confident instructor until my third year of teaching. Wow. Um, but the program here at, at Classical really does set you up to be successful um, as long as you're committing to uh, implementing that feedback. And, and, and committing to systems that allow you to implement that feedback for sure. So many questions. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, the, these are great insights, by the way. Thank you so much. Um, I feel like some schools, they go, okay, we have these teachers, they go teach, good luck. How, uh, can you maybe, where do I even start? Um, when the results are you said are already we don't need to dive into the results because you said after one year you're surprised by how confident they are mm-hmm. what's the feedback from the teachers in regards to having an instructional coach i'm sure they love it and they feel more confident what feedback have you received from your teachers that you've you've helped grow into better educators i would say that our teachers really value their relationship with their instructional coach because their instructional coach is not their manager. Their instructional coach is a manager, but a manager of their development. And so at the end of the day, uh, a teacher has, gets to have a really safe relationship with their instructional coach. Um, and for me, as when I was in that role as an instructional coach, the most uh, foundational thing for me was building relationships and building trust with um, my teachers. To answer your question in terms of how teachers feel about having an instructional coach, Mm -hmm. uh, our teachers really do value that relationship because it's quite safe. 
Um, and uh, something that was a part of my experience as a teacher was that um, if I was kind of performing sort of middle ground and average, um, I was, unless I was sort of middle of the road, um, I was getting observed. And so if I was doing really terribly, uh, which I was in my first year, I was getting observed pretty heavily because I needed to make rapid growth. Yeah. And then when I was really, really well, um, I was getting observed for the purposes of trying to kind of download what I was doing to other teachers across the school. But if I was sort of average and middle of the road, um, I wasn't getting observed because there was no fire to put out and there was no, no like water to share uh, with, awesome. with fires across the school. Um, but that's, you know, it, it might be awesome in terms of feeling that autonomy, but then it kind of delays your growth process as a teacher. And here at Classical, what I appreciate is that we believe that good teaching is good teaching, no matter what the context um, and what the circumstances of, uh, of the makeup of your class or of the grade that you're teaching. We believe that good teaching is good teaching regardless of context. And so um, when it comes to development, everybody is on a development journey. And we don't say that there's any teacher at Classical who's reached the final destination in terms of their development. There's always something that will push their practice regardless of whether they're in their first year of teaching or in their seventh year of teaching. And that's where that safety comes from because there's a guarantee and there's a predictability that they're going to have a relationship with an instructional coach. Whether the content of that relationship uh, is the same or different year to year is one thing, but that relationship still exists regardless. And so uh, in terms of the teachers that I've coached, you know, for me, a really important thing was, you know, surveying them at the beginning of the year to get a sense of where, why they went into teaching, what um, the, uh, what uh, their interests are outside of school, and, and all of those pieces, because not only does that not only do those responses help me so that, you know, if one of my teachers, which was the case, really loves Lizzo, you know, I'm going to make sure that when Lizzo has a concert coming out, we're going to talk about Lizzo and going to see the concert, or we're going to talk about the latest album coming out because that's what's going to make the work human uh, and see beyond our roles in the school. Um, but paired with that, um, uh, a, an important part of our work in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion is honoring our own personal identities that we bring to the table as teachers and as educators. And if we're not able to bring our full authentic selves into the classroom, we can't expect that scholars will uh, want to contribute to the classroom culture uh, in the way that is going to produce that sort of healthy team mentality that comes from a really positive classroom culture. So uh, that, that relationship building piece is important, but also um, I recognize that I can, I can talk any teacher's ear off about you know, <laughs> what's outlined in uh, Teach Like a Champion in terms of pra classroom practices, but if they don't have a personal connection to why this uh, feedback kind of upholds the values that they've shared with me um, for why they're they, why they want to be a teacher and why they want to teach at my school, then I'm never going to see them implement that, that feedback because they're not going to have that personal investment. So wow. the, the relationship building piece that comes from the coaching model here at Classical is really critical to um, you know, teacher success and also scholar success. That's awesome. Yeah, when I said that's awesome because I think it's amazing 
because a lot of schools fall into that model that you said where, hey, if you're doing well or if you're mediocre and we're not putting out a fire, just do you, whatever. There's not a whole lot of coaching for those teachers that want to get better. They're just so focused on putting out fires. Like the best athletes in the world or in the best musicians in the world, they have coaches, even though they're the best in their field. And so even if you're teachers are doing well or maybe they're just kind of hidden in the the middle of the pack it's still important that they get coaching because everyone can improve it's not so much getting all teachers above like this imaginary bar it's finding where teachers are and giving them more development so they can be better each and every day so that is so cool um and <laughs> i i could spend another two hours talking about the instructional teaching um I'm going to ask one more question about that before we move on, um, but we're, we're going to have to get you on a part two, part three, part four. <laughs> but you you mentioned systems. You said that um, I just heard the word systems, and I whenever I hear that word, it triggers a question for me, like, what systems? Because I feel like it's easy to go like, hey, like, you're doing this while you're doing that. We'll see you later. How, how do you, what systems do you have in place at classical charter schools or maybe ideas tips for a school that likes this model but they don't really know how to implement it do you have any tips yes i would say there's a couple of things that have been really impactful for my practice uh, both having been an instructional coach and now over getting to oversee the instructional coach team uh -huh. it's been nice to kind of uh heavy-handedly uh direct our instructional coach team having been in that role um, yeah. and i think there are a couple of things that I learned in my experience because uh, I'll be honest, I was not a very effective instructional coach my first year. Um, and I learned a lot in my first year that helped me in my second year. So for example, my first year, I uh, kind of took for granted um, model observations. Uh, I wasn't really making sure that my models that I was doing for teachers that I was coaching um, were at a high enough level that really allowed them to see what I wanted them to do. And That's so I really committed to in my second year of, yeah, in my second year of teaching, or excuse me, my second year of coaching, I really committed to making sure my model observations were high impact. Um, because if I wasn't pacing myself when I was modeling a lesson, the teacher would be like, well, yeah, I heard you, you know, utilize this higher level form of questioning, but you also went 10 minutes over time and I don't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, yeah, you're right. So I got to tighten up. Um, and uh, so I would say that, you know, a couple of things that I've learned are that model uh, observations where you as an instructional coach are modeling instruction for teachers uh, is one of the most impactful things because a lot of our teachers are visual learners the same way that our scholars are visual learners. And we have to give them that opportunity and also give them that opportunity to see that, you know, this is the same group of scholars that you just taught but now you're seeing what's happening when I'm teaching them versus when you're teaching them. And, and we're comparing notes on that. And that, that requires a level of analysis. So it's creating a higher order thinking for our teachers um, that uh, they, they can definitely benefit from. So I would say model observations are a really important tool. Um, I would say the second piece that uh, I've learned from my experience here at school too, at, at classical is that, um, Having a, uh, an arc for what your development of teachers looks like um, will absolutely help 
uh, with scholar outcomes, um, which is why you know we we are always uh, our results. Um, you know our families choose classical. We're a blue ribbon school um, because we truly believe that every adult who works in the school building, uh, what that arc really looks like is um, we we utilize sort of a, a coaching model that's consistent across. Um, a lot of uh, teacher development programs where, you know, you'll go in and you'll sort of observe, um, then you might do some, you know, you might do that observation kind of in the back of the room, not really touching the lesson, um, you know, kind of allowing uh, the lesson to function as normal to get sort of a baseline of what instruction is looking like. Then the following week, you might go in and you might do what we call active observation. So an active observation is I'm actually going to kind of break the plane and I'm going to actually step into the lesson. I'm going to kind of feed the teacher questions or ways to rephrase the questions or help the teacher reset expectations or, uh, you know, uh, follow through in terms of uh, the discipline system. And that's some of the active coaching we might do so that teachers can feel that coaching in the moment and, and learn in the Got moment what, what impact that has. Then we might move into sort of a work analysis where we'll actually look at scholar work in the class, uh, diagnose trends, see what the data is telling us. And then from there, we'll kind of com complete the loop and move that into sort of forward planning. So if, if 50% of the class struggled with, you know, this question that requires this skill, I'm going to very intentionally plan into my next lesson, you know, before I release scholars to do that work independently, I'm going to make sure that I've, I've crossed this off in terms of my instruction uh, mm -hmm. to make sure that scholars are successful. Wow. That, <laughs> that was gold. Thank you so much. Um, those insights were really powerful. My wife is a teacher and she has mentioned oftentimes that instructional coaching sometimes is more of like uh, checking a box like someone comes in sits in your class while they kind of play on their phone or they do attendance reports while they're kind of just sitting in your class they're not really really coaching you they're just kind of there to check a box everything that you just described is very hands-on it's very um, time consuming in a good way because it shows like hey we're not doing this to check a box we're doing this because we care about you your development, the development of our scholars, it's its very inspiring, it, that, the way that you do it. And also, I love how you speak with so much humility, because you talk about giving instruction, but you also say like, hey, like my first year, I wasn't as, as good as I was my second year. And it sounds like you are very interested in growing yourself. You're not just, hey, let me teach everyone how to do something my way. You're always trying to get better. And I think that is what can separate a successful school from a school that's really struggling every year is just having a humble staff that's just wanting to get better. They're not trying to, you know, cover up or, or be an unauthentic self and, and just try to reach an invisible bar. How, how do you find staff members that kind of understand that vision of, hey, we're, we're going to develop you, we're developing ourselves? Like, finding team members that want to continue to learn and grow. How, how do you find those team members? I think the thing that is very special about classical and especially here at school too, because we are a small school and we are looking to grow and we're looking 
to enroll more scholars so that we can increase our impact here in Mott Haven in the South Bronx. Um, something that is true of all of the adults in, in this school is that we put kids first uh, in, in every situation. And uh, the reality that I, I learned very quickly as an instructional coach is that just because I'm no longer in the classroom all day um, does not mean that I don't need to have a personal uh, relationship with the scholars in my school. So cool. I'm not I'm not interested in just being an instructional coach so that I can stop teaching and yeah. just uh, you know, work with adults. That's, that's not my interest at all. I, uh, you know, I, I entered this work because I believe in the potential of children. Um, I believe that all scholars can achieve uh, incredible things. And I, because I believe that, I'm very committed to getting to know my scholars at a personal level. And I think the way that uh, the best way to influence teachers is to make sure that you're building relationships with scholars as the foundation. So mm -hmm. I'm able to bond with um, I'm able to bond with some of my teachers because I'll pull a small group and do an observation of how those scholars do when they're working with me at the back table while a, uh, that teacher is leading whole group. Um, so that I can be a thought partner with that teacher and also so that when we debrief, we can kind of laugh about some of the quirky things that came up during the lesson. And if, uh, if my experience has been that when a teacher sees that I'm just as interested in getting to know their scholars as I am in getting to know them, they are, uh, they are very bought in to the feedback that I'm providing them. Yeah. Uh, and so they're, they're much more willing to engage in that and grow themselves in their practice because they see uh, my desire to see the mm -hmm. scholars improve. Um, so I'd say that, that that's a big part of the work that we do and how we sort of set up that culture in terms of the adult culture across the school. At school two, we have a very special and unique uh, situation, which is that our school operates on one floor. So we are always kind of in each other's space. And because we uh, are in each other's space, we, we tend to get to know each other's scholars uh, and get to know uh, siblings. And so we get to see a little bit of that bonding um, as a result of the, the community that operates you know, in our, on the third floor here. Cool. You've answered a couple of questions that I was going to ask. I was going to ask, well, how, how does a debrief go? How, how do you make it a positive and constructive feedback session where everyone's open and leaning into the, the feedback? And you just said, like, care about their students, know them by name, know their strengths and weaknesses. That shows the teacher that you actually care and they're actually going to listen a little bit more and they're not going to be so defensive. Do you have any other tips other than that fantastic tip um, to make your debrief sessions more open? Um, I think it's really important to, um, you know, in the same way that uh, the, it kind of comes at different levels uh, in, in a school that, you know, historically uh, in the South Bronx, uh, there has been so much uh, systematic 
um, neglect of the South Bronx it, from our, our state and local governments in, in a way that uh, has resulted in a lot of uh, institutionalized problems that affect our families. And um, one of the things that can come from, you know, myself as a white person, um, I'm a white person uh, working in the South Bronx, and it is my obligation um, to honor the fact that I am a guest in this community. And, uh, and it is an important uh, part of my work to make sure I'm always taking an approach of an asset-based approach where I am viewing all of my scholars with full potential and I'm not seeking out uh, their, their deficits. And uh, because there are no deficits in terms of uh, their potential, they are all okay. capable. Um, and uh, the reality is that I, that's not just true of uh, our scholars that they deserve that asset-based thinking. We also need to think about that from our adults. And so I think one of the ways that that shows up in a debrief is that um, I wanna make sure I'm questioning into the things that went well in the lesson and asking teachers, what were you thinking about in the moment that allowed you to phrase this question this certain way? Or what were you thinking about in this moment to really make sure that you re-engaged the scholar in the lesson? What did you notice around the room that caused you to uh, do this uh, instructional move? Um, and so questioning into that uh, creates uh, an opportunity for them to place just as much value on their strengths and capitalizing on their strengths, as opposed to just only focusing on fixing uh, things that are constructive within the lesson yeah i think that's really powerful it's not saying all right here's my laundry list of things you did wrong it's it's asking questions having what how are you feeling what were you thinking like that's that's powerful and i feel like it's not always easy to kind of take a step back and be able to ask questions rather than accuse or just pull out your list of like hey this is what you did wrong 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 that is really cool. And, and the follow-up question I have for you is you, um, I'm very impressed by how you are able to put yourself in the shoes of others and you're kind of able to understand your role and the roles of others kind of in a community and you're able to take a step back and, you know, show empathy. How, if I'm a charter school administrator listening to this episode and I want my student or my, my faculty and staff to be able to do the same. Do you have any resources, books, podcasts, um, or maybe YouTube videos or anything that's kind of helped you to kind of be able to be that compassionate, empathetic um, educator? Kind of a tough question. If you don't have any off the top of your head, that's okay. But I've just been very impressed and I'm sure a lot of charter school administrators are thinking, this is all good stuff. How do I get my teachers and my instructional coaches and my lunch and cafeteria crew? And how do I get my whole faculty and staff behind this idea of putting themselves in the shoes of others? I think that the only way as an administrator to uh, really build um, your uh, compassionate muscle or your empathetic muscle uh, 
It requires a lot of the skills uh, that come from, uh, you know, context-based learning. Um, I, you know, foundationally in my professional experience, the first role that I had was a, a Peace Corps volunteer. And before I was allowed to implement any projects in my community in Burkina Faso, I had to do what's called um, a participatory analysis where I was um, analyzing the community and, and doing that through a few different methods. So um, I would have my students and my teachers make uh, kind of their own personal map of their community where they were drawing out uh, landmarks within the community, which gave me insight into the kind of their routines and structures mm -hmm. of, you know, places around the community that they found valuable. So they might include the mosque because they go there to, to pray. Um, they might include the, uh, the well where they're regularly gathering water at, um, you know, 745 in the morning. And uh, I would have them also complete, like, what is a typical day from top to bottom when you wake up to the end of the day and you go to bed? Like, what are all the things that you're doing throughout the day? Also, let's do a needs assessment together. Let's assess sort of what do you view as the highest priority need that you need to thrive in your community? And everybody's answers are going to be different there, but they're all going to provide valuable information. And so, uh, you know, part of the reason why we would have them fill out those schedules or have them fill out those maps is it gave us insights into not only what do they find valuable, but if I try to lead a community-based meeting where we go over positive discipline techniques at 9 a.m. and all my teachers are going to go get water at the well, um, my meeting's gonna be really ineffective <laughs> and, um, and, and really gonna lack some participation and attendance. Yeah. And so when I'm thinking about the work that we do at classical, it's the same concept that we have to know our community and we have to know our stakeholders and we have to know um, what is what is the current context in which we're operating and how are we going to leverage the strengths of our community um, to build on that for on behalf of our scholars. And so we have a very highly engaged families who are really um, interested in making sure that their scholars are successful and able to gain access to college preparatory high schools. Um, you know, we want to leverage that in terms of the engagement activities that mm -hmm. we do across the school. We want to make sure that um, we are, uh, we know that uh, a really important aspect of the work that we do for motivating scholars is, is taking a, a lens of social emotional learning in our character education program. You know, we, we, we utilize um, all of the pillars of social emotional learning in terms of self-management or uh, relational management to uh, drive, you know, how we talk about our character pillars that we have at Classical. Um, and we allow our scholars to kind of problem solve scenarios that, um, you know, might be challenges where, you know, this situation happened, how can I show respect in that situation? How can I show responsibility? How can I show citizenship in that uh, problem or in that scenario? So that, you know, when they do make mistakes because all children are, are bound to make mistakes, we're able to kind of close the loop with them and have a conversation about, um, you know, how, what, 
what character pillar was at play in this situation that came up at recess or that came up during uh, snack time or came up during the math lesson? And what could we do differently next time? And how, what are we committing to together? And how can we support you in making those uh, decisions correctly the next time uh, in support of you and your classmates? And so um, I feel that all of that is really important for building some of that compassionate and empathetic uh, community uh, of, yeah. of adults of kids yeah um you just you gave me way more than i was hoping for with that that was fantastic um just the idea of drawing out someone's schedule to better understand why they're struggling or why they're doing well or um, why they reacted the way that they did i that is so cool <laughs> um i am going to really restrain myself because I have so many questions, but I really want, we have just a few more minutes left. I really want you to tell us a little bit more about um, classical because we've spoken a lot about instructional coaching. And like I said, there's 30 more questions that I have in my head. I'm going to restrain myself. Could you tell us a little bit about classical? You've kind of explained what you do a little bit and why classical is a special charter school. But could you tell us a little bit about like it, its founding, its its pillars? You mentioned the pillars. What makes it unique and why classical is, you know, classical? Yeah. So our executive director um, was actually a teacher himself. And so classical charter schools is founded on his vision of having a classical education for uh, all of our scholars. And so what that looks like in practice is that um, they get a very well-rounded sort of liberal arts education. And a lot of our teachers who join us, they join us because they themselves went to a liberal arts college and they see how uh, the curriculum that we have in K to eight kind of mirrors what uh, we would hope for as opportunities within a liberal arts college. So um, for our scholars in kindergarten through um, second grade, uh, they get uh, social studies and science in addition to the typical reading, writing, and math instruction that they would normally get. Um, and this is, you know, added on in the, in the hopes that not only will our scholars build excitement around content in history or learning about other cultures, uh, our first graders learn about uh, ancient Egypt, they uh, also learn about uh, um, you know, Native American uh, First People nations that um, exist in New York City in, in kindergarten. Um, and so they get a lot of access to sort of that uh, breadth of curriculum um, from a very young age. But then starting in third grade, um, we really delve into the classical aspect of our curriculum because our scholars are introduced to Latin. And that is a, a very important uh, aspect of our curriculum because our middle schoolers in seventh and eighth grade, they take the national Latin exam um, oh, wow. as, as an opportunity to set them up to uh, gain access to um, elite high schools around New York City, which uh, the high school landscape in New York City is a very complex um, yeah. uh, context. And so being able to provide our scholars with specific curriculum that gives them a 
more opportunity to develop passion around specific subjects is something that's super valuable for our scholars before they get an opportunity to go to high schools that might specialize in one thing or another. Um, you know, there's uh, very technical high schools around New York City, and we want to make sure that they have opportunities at any of those high schools. Um, but in third grade, they start learning Latin. Um, in fourth grade, they start uh, getting debate as a, a subject block. And so all of this um, is in service of skills that will be valuable for a lifetime. So for our scholars, a lot of them, you know, they speak French or they speak Spanish. And so getting the opportunity to learn Latin in school allows them to actually help build a connection between uh, a language that they uh, might be speaking at home and, and a language that they might be speaking at school. Yeah. Um, and getting to learn Latin roots and learning uh, problem solving for vocabulary as it shows up in context in different texts, they're developing skills in that Latin block that will be beneficial to them um, in various parts of the day. And then, of course, with debate, you get the opportunity to do research, uh, be able mm -hmm. to defend a point and make sure you're analyzing it from multiple different uh, angles and previewing what the other side is going to argue and figuring out how you're gonna counter that argument. So it, it really uses a lot of skills that we want in terms of executive functioning where um, we're building that, that capacity to plan and organize and, and collect um, in a way that we'd want them to do that exact same skill in terms of interpreting a math problem and solving it. So um, all of this is really in service of finding the connection across um, uh, different subject areas so that we can develop the, the thinking skills uh, no matter what subject uh, scholars have in front of them. Wow, that's fantastic. And do you happen to know how many years classical charter schools has been around? We have been around since 2006. That's a, that's a good amount of time for the charter school world. Yeah, so we started in 2006. We um, and then my school, uh, South Bronx Classical Charter School Two, we opened up in 2013. Um, we uh, won our first Blue Ribbon Award in 2019. Our School One location has two Blue Ribbon Awards, and our School Three location has just earned their first Blue Ribbon. Um, and so we're uh, eyeing towards our second blue ribbon at school too in the next couple of years. Um, and we are definitely on track uh, to hopefully earn that. That's amazing. I was already impressed before this call. After this call, I'm even more so. It's almost like when you um, bump into a celebrity that you admire and then you meet them in person, like, oh, they were actually really nice. I like them more now that I've even met them. I feel the very same way now. Um, Fantastic. Um, I, I want to give you the opportunity before we wrap up, um, if there's any question that I didn't ask that maybe you have an answer to or anything that you'd like to say about yourself, the charter school world, classical charter schools, um, anything before we wrap up. I, I don't want to cut you off if, if you have one, a couple more things that you'd like to share. Yeah, I would say the one, the one question that um, I think is is worth noting is you know why if I'm a parent listening to this why would I why should I select uh, classical charter schools above any other um, charter school in the South Bronx and the reality is that um, classical is unique in terms of its its systems and structures in support of scholar learning um, you know if I'm if I'm a parent I want to choose a school that puts academics uh, at the, 
at the top. And so, you know, the way that we do that at Classical is every scholar is guaranteed small group instruction at least one time throughout the day, if not um, two to three or four times a day having small group instruction. Um, and that's such a critical opportunity for uh, our scholars so that um, not only can they get to know teachers at a deeper level because of that small group opportunity, but also because it's giving um, an opportunity to close instructional gaps and, and really figure out what will allow uh, scholars to be successful on going from uh, month to month or grade to grade. Um, but paired with that also um, having um, instructional coaches that are on hand to make sure that um, your scholar's teacher is uh, putting absolutely the best uh, instruction in front of their scholar is super important and having a really dedicated um, deans who not only teach character education to our scholars but then also have restorative conversations with our scholars um, when they make mistakes is such an important opportunity yeah. for developing a safe learning environment for scholars um, to grow. And um, nothing is more uh, powerful about classical than our teachers. Um, our teachers are very committed to their craft and our teachers um, love getting to uh, not only teach the various subjects that you know I've list, I've shared before in terms of Latin debate and science and social studies and math and in ELA, but um, they also love all of those in between moments of having their own specialized incentive systems for scholars and um, being able to have effort celebrations and and parties across the day um, to celebrate scholars' growth and learning um, is something that is. Uh, a huge impact for yeah. uh, our scholars and their families. Fantastic. I, I often ask the question, what makes your school unique? Because a lot of charter schools, they don't really know what makes them unique. It's very clear that classical charter schools know, knows why they're unique. <laughs> I love it. So if you're a parent or a student or an educator in Bronx, go check out classicalcharterschools.org. I believe, yeah, classicalcharterschools.org and learn more about what they're doing, um, become a fan just like myself. Um, Mick, Sam Gratis, I'm so thankful for your time. So thankful for your insights, your generosity, um, the light that you're sharing. It gives me a lot of optimism going to sleep at night knowing that there's people like you doing what you're doing and making a difference. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. All right, bye now.